on May 31st, Brazil witnessed a rare thing. Football ultras from rival clubs in Sao Paulo marching alongside each other in protest. Among other things, these groups are typically known for violent clashes on the streets of Sao Paulo, a problem that led authorities to ban rival crowds from derby games in the state. But on Sunday, they had a common enemy, the rise of political extremism in Brazil. With pro-democracy chants, they walked together, despite the pandemic, and challenged the groups who have made a weekly tradition out of breaking isolation rules and marching in support of President Bolsonaro. During the COVID-19 pandemic, the streets had become a monopoly of pro-Bolsonaro forces. After all, the president is a COVID-19 denier, and his opponents are precisely those who respect stay-at-home orders. So does this mean that the opposition against Jair Bolsonaro is living a state of hibernation it has been for the past 16 months? Or was this just a one-off? My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Avenida Paulista is São Paulo's most iconic protest stage. On May 31st, it was occupied by thousands of football ultras staging an anti-fascist demonstration. On the other end of the avenue, pro-Bolsonaro supporters defended the opposite values with some even bearing symbols and flags connected to far-right groups, such as the neo-fascist Ukrainian right sector. When the two crowds met, police riot squads pushed the anti-fascist demonstrators back using flash bombs and tear gas. Away from the streets, the protests occurred while political groups have begun issuing manifestos aiming at building a broad coalition against President Bolsonaro, who has governed somewhat unopposed. The biggest crises of his administration were all of his own making. This week, we are speaking to political scientist Claudio Couto, head of Fundação Getúlio Vargas' master's program in public policy and administration. Do Sunday's protests mean that the streets are no longer a monopoly of the far right? First of all, we have to know uh, what's really going to happen, if this is a trend or if this was an episodical situation. I mean, last weekend, what we saw on the streets were groups demonstrating against the president that are very specific groups, that is, the fans of football clubs. And these groups, they present themselves as a kind of Antifa, Brazilian uh, version of the Antifas. But I repeat, we are talking about the supporters of football teams, not about the, the general uh, population or demonstra demonstrators in general. We have to wait a little and to see if uh, when these groups go to the street, if they are capable of uh, attracting other sectors of the society. We also have Celso de Rocha Barros, a political scientist with a PhD in sociology from Oxford University. 
The pandemic gave the impression that only Bolsonaro supporters could take people to the streets because only people who were crazy enough to deny the pandemic would demonstrate in times like this. Ideally, we would not have demonstrations during the pandemic. Ideally, we wouldn't even have much political disagreement in times like this. But Bolsonaro has systematically and successfully undermined social isolation, and his crowd has become increasingly bolder and increasingly open about shutting down Congress, shutting down the Supreme Court. Right now, there are Bolsonaristas camping outside Congress, and they have weapons. In a recent demonstration, uh, the Bolsonaro crowd included a guy who works as a military consultant in the Ukraine. Who is this guy? What is he doing in the Brazilian demonstration, carrying flags of Ukrainian far-right movements? In this radicalized scenario, I can understand why some citizens would go to the streets to show the Bolsonaristas that they do not own the streets, that any movement against Brazilian democracy will face resistance both inside institutions and in the streets. And how do you evaluate the recent moves by the opposition? We have seen several groups uniting moderate forces from both the left and the right. Celso, will they amount to anything? Well, uh, as Bolsonaro has become more openly authoritarian, the opposition has started to unite. This is not easy. There are deep conflicts within the Brazilian left, And, of course, there's the legacy of 20 years of bitter struggle between the center-left and the center-right. This is not an easy crowd to bring together. Ideally, we would all move past our differences and um, build a new political center. Something like this might actually happen, actually. Uh, Some slow moves are being done in that direction. But even if we cannot move past our resentments and our hurt, Uh, We should unite anyway. Let's have a group of people who don't like each other, but still like democracy. I'm reasonably optimistic about this. I think it will be a messy process. Uh, It may be slow. But most political forces will unite against any authoritarian move by Bolsonaro, I believe. Well, every time the president has challenged democratic institutions... He has been met with a wave of outrage statements that have absolutely no effect whatsoever. They are not enough to moderate the president or his supporters. So regardless of how effective these moderate coalitions are, do they mean that at least the time of issuing statements on Twitter is over and that the opposition is ready to work and to put the government on its heels? Claudio. I'm not sure if it is the starting point of this reaction of society against Bolsonaro, uh, even because what we also has, have is uh, a reaction of some important political institutions in Brazil, like the Supreme Court or even like uh, the Congress. Since the Congress uh, uh, has the intention now to implement an investigation about what is going on regarding the president's uh, fake news agency. And since we have this, it is a very important measure that can really affect the president. The the commission that is doing this investigation, it was already implemented before the pandemics, but it was postponed. Uh, its, uh, its, Its works were postponed after the beginning of the pandemics. And we can see a very clear reaction of the Supreme Court against the authoritarian uh, traits and against the authoritarian actions of the president. 
with real uh, uh, initiatives of the Supreme Court, like, for example, uh, the decision to uh, have search uh, against uh, uh, supporters of the president who have links with uh, this fake news agency, with uh, threats to judges, to politicians, to oppositors of the government, and also a, a more uh, a, a proactive position of some ministers, some judges inside the Supreme Court in terms of talking in a more serious manner with the president and taking really real judicial measures against the government. I think this is what really matters now because it's not only a, a, a sequence of notes, of notes uh, uh, that, that deploy the, the position and the actions of the president, but it's more than that. We are talking about real institutional actions. There is actions that can have also institutional consequences for the president and for his allies. Claudio Couto mentioned a Supreme Court probe against far-right disinformation groups. We will talk about it in detail after the break. Hi, my name is Ewan Marshall. I'm an editor at The Brazilian Report. As you know, we are an independent news outlet that lives off subscriptions. So you can support our independence by choosing one of our plans for the best content about Brazil in English. And if you've already subscribed, then you can also buy us a coffee with a small donation starting at $4 and going up to whatever your budget and your heart allows. You can help us refill our coffee mugs to continue our 24-7 coverage of COVID-19 in Brazil. You just need to go to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report. Cheers! Early in 2019, the Supreme Court opened an investigation into profiles spreading fake news and threatening its members. The move was highly controversial. According to Supreme Court rules, justices can only launch their own inquiries if they are connected to a crime that occurred on the Supreme Court's premises. But Chief Justice Giastofoli, who kicked off the inquiry, said that the justices are the court. So any attack against them would be tantamount to an attack on the court itself. Very well. But the investigation was used to temporarily censor a news report with damaging information against the Chief Justice. Environmentalist party Hedge filed a lawsuit asking for the probe to be halted, calling it something straight from a dictatorial regime. But then last week, the investigation reached supporters of President Bolsonaro, namely a network of businessmen and influencers suspected of running an illegal underground fake news ring. Then, all of a sudden, the outrage vanished. Technically, Heiji cannot drop the lawsuit it started, so it filed a new lawsuit to cancel out its original petition. Claudio. Let me put this to you. This probe tackles fake news, which has become a menace to democracies all over the world. But should we be bending the rules for the, quote, greater good? Doesn't that set a dangerous precedent? Mm -hmm. 
Well, really, this probe is a very controversial one, considering how it was implemented, the problem that you mentioned, that the justice are at the same time the plaintiffs, the judges, the prosecutors, everyone. Uh, but I think that there were some corrections through the process that perhaps can adjust it to a more uh, adequate process in terms of the due process, in terms of the rule of law. And what I mean, I mean that uh, the judge that is responsible now for uh, conducting this process, Alexandre Moraes, uh, he made clear that he won't be responsible for being the judge of the case, but only to instruct the case. The interesting thing is that in Brazil, this figure of the instruct judge uh, uh, is not exactly something that is usual in the Brazilian judicial system. And so th there is an, an institutional novelty here if this judge really uh, 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 assumed the position of uh, an instructor judge. At the same time, we had a very important discussion recently in terms of uh, an, an institutional reform of the judicial system with the creation of the uh, guarantee judge. There is a, a kind of instructor judge that, again, would be responsible for the investigation but wouldn't be responsible for the judgment properly. And again, what we see in this decision of the Supreme Court and in this process uh, is an implementation of this kind uh, of an institutional framing. And so what I think is that, despite the fact that we have a, a birth problem, this is a, a process that is started with considerable problems and it was criticized because of that, there was a correction in the middle of the way. And I believe that with these corrections, we probably will have uh, uh, an acceptance of this process by the other Supreme Court justices, the other Nine guys, I mean nine guys because Alexandre Moraes is responsible for conducting the investigation and the investigation was requested by the president of the court, uh, Dias Toffoli. But I believe that now we have a very likely uh, uh, situation uh, of the other justices also providing support uh, to this probe. And if it really happens, I think that uh, perhaps we can fix the problems of this investigation that were present in, in its beginning. Celso. Yes, uh, there is a trade-off here. We clearly cannot go into another election with the Bolsonarista parallel illegal propaganda machine operating online. The Bolsonaro fake news machine has systematically attacked the institutions with fake news about Supreme Court judges and leaders in Congress our main LGBT congressman, uh, Jean Willis, resigned and left Brazil because of online threats. And some of these threats were made by people who believed fake news about him. We cannot have this. Uh, something has to be done. But you are right. Uh, there is a risk here. Uh, the risk of over-regulating and handing a tool of oppression to this or to a future administrations and well it's a trade-off i really uh, don't know what the ideal kind of regulation would be but it's abundantly clear that something has to be done this probe also happens while the president is under investigation for possibly having illegally meddled with the federal police 
It has raised tensions to new heights, and the president and his sons are even discussing an, quote, imminent institutional clash. Yves Gandra Martins, a prominent legal expert, said that the president should evoke Article 142 of the Constitution. In his view, it would allow Bolsonaro to launch a self-coup and call for military intervention. I think that this is another uh, uh, case of a clear threat to democracy that comes from uh, Bolsonaro's family. This same son, still during the, the, the presidential elections, actually in 2018, he was uh, questioning about what could occur if there was a decision of the Supreme Court against the candidacy of his father as president, as pre for presidency. And what he said is that it was necessary only to have a soldier uh, and another official uh, to close the Supreme Court. Well, this kind of uh, uh, statement is very serious. It was very serious at that time. And again, we see a different situation, uh, a similar situation right now with this kind of statement. In the situation that we are experiencing today uh, of a radicalization of the political process, I believe that such a kind of statement is an attempt to uh, intimidate the oppositors of the government and at the same time to radicalize even more the political scenery, perhaps in order to have a, 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 a motive, a reason uh, for an institutional rupture. In what regards these uh, uh, juridical considerations of Yves Gandra Martins, who is a, a well-known right-wing uh, uh, lawyer, well, what you can say is that it's nonsense, obviously inconstitutional. Celso, is this the worst moment for Brazilian democracy since the end of the dictatorship in 1985? Oh, uh, it's not even close. Uh, yes. Here we are discussing if the military would support a coup. The president's son, a member of Congress, uh, his main political organizer, has said that an institutional break is no longer a matter of if, it's a matter of when. He may be bluffing, but stable democracies don't have this kind of bluffing by major players. We have nothing like that in the last... Uh, 30 years. My generation saw Brazilian democracy hit bumps in the road, but there was never any doubt that it was here to stay. It was, uh, let's say, the only game in town. When Lula was elected in 2002, uh, there were serious doubts about his economic management, but nobody thought he would not be allowed to take office. Nobody thought he would become a dictator. In recent years, uh, institutions seem to be so strong that major figures on the ruling party were sent to jail, something that is very, very rare in any country. And yet, well, here we are. Since Bolsonaro won, Brazilian democracy is attacked by the president on a weekly basis. This is not a normal situation. The risks are real. And, and how do you see the role of the military in the Jair Bolsonaro administration? Because they seem always to keep a, an ambiguous stance 
you never quite know if they are backing democratic order or if they're flirting with this kind of nonsense. And apparently to me, it seems that they their power relies precisely in staying ambiguous. That's difficult to know. Military officers often claim that uh, we should um, draw a sharp distinction between uh, the military men who joined the government by the hundreds and the army as an institution. I hope they're right. But anyway, I can't think of any other democratic government anywhere else that has so many military people in key government positions. Still, I mean, well, if Bolsonaro tried his coup right now, I don't think the military would support him. I may be wrong, but that's what I think. After all, if he is impeached, they would remain in power uh, with his vice president, Hamilton Mourão, who is also a general, an army general. In fact, I would bet good money that at least some generals would rather work for a Mourão administration. But we are on shaky ground here. Uh, Bolsonaro is clearly conspiring. Even if his chances of a successful coup were higher before, uh, he had a couple of setbacks recently. His uh, handling of the pandemic is widely seen as terrible. It was terrible. Um, he lost his very, very popular uh, Minister of Justice, Sergio Moro, the key judge in the recent uh, car wash operation uh, fought corruption um, in Brazil. So uh, he's much weaker now than he was uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, the economy has not you know, improved. Uh, he has nothing to show in that area. So um, right now I think it's too weak uh, to try a successful coup. I may be wrong, and if I'm wrong, I'm tragically wrong. Um, anyway, even if it's, we've survived this, if uh, Brazilian democracy survives this, uh, well, we all must admit that this is not a place where any democracy wants to find itself in. Claudio, Celso, thank you very much. If you like Explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars and share this podcast with your friends. But that's not the best way to support us. Actually, you can go to our website now, and for as little as $3.90, you can subscribe to the best content about Brazil in English. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. We're bringing new content every day about how the pandemic is affecting every single aspect of life in Brazil and Latin America. We also have a paywall-free COVID-19 live blog. That's all for this week. Stay home, stay safe, and Explaining Brazil will be back next week.